1: we've all seen the headlines, Lauren, talking about the death of chain restaurants and they're blaming your generation.
2: Yeah, they have blamed my generation, the millennials, and I always took a bit of offense to that. Honestly, I like endless breadsticks as much as anyone else.
1: Well, try not to take it personally, because I'm sure they aren't singling you out.
2: Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, But I've been doing some research and I discovered that millennials might actually be working on reviving those chain restaurants. Uh, Amy McCarthy wrote about it last year for Eater.
1: ...be in contact with her that here's a bit of what she had to say. You wrote that chain restaurants are, are starting to make a little bit of a comeback. Do you do you still believe that's the case? And, and if so, what's causing it?
3: Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, I think there are a number of factors that are influencing um, the comeback of chains or even places that hadn't been chains before becoming chains, what we would call chainification.
2: The real reason I reached out to Amy was this headline that our other producer, Chris, found. It's about a deal that, quote, broke the Internet, called the Date Night Pass from Applebee's. And we're sorry, um, it was only on sale until February 9th, so it's not available anymore.
1: Dang it. But you know what? After talking with Amy, I've got a feeling there might be more of these coming. Are you guys just heard from one of our producers, Lauren? I'm Mike Rogers, and this is Something Offbeat. Uh, So I was just looking at the numbers on this Applebee's thing. You get up to $30 worth of food per week for an entire year, and it's just $200. Now, on the surface, that sounds like a pretty good deal.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think for a lot of people, uh, it is a really good deal, Um, you know, especially considering the rising cost of food. It's really expensive to eat out right now. It's really expensive to buy groceries right now. Um, So the idea is that you could get dinner, a nice dinner, a dinner out, a date night kind of experience for $30 is pretty exciting, Um, or for $250 total or whatever the cost was. Um, That said, Applebee's is really hoping that you're going to spend more than that $250. They want you to come in and get cocktails and get an appetizer or get something else so that they can build out that ticket price and make more than $250 off of the experience.
1: Yeah, and as from as far as your concerns, it, you need to go, I would say, probably three or four times to make it worth the expense, right? So over the course of a year, that's not that difficult.
3: Sure. Uh, and, I mean, if you're really, you know, if that's a place that you regularly go or, or it's a place that you're willing to go, um, then, yeah, I think it's a really great thing. You know, like I'm thinking about my, you know, early 20s when I was very broke and didn't eat out often Um I would have wreaked havoc with that thing. I think I think I would have really made Applebee's pay for it. You know, I think I think there are frugal people out there who can really make the most of, of those kinds of things. Um, and those are the kind of people who want that deal. You know, they're not the people who are going to go and spend a whole bunch more money at Applebee's on cocktails or dessert or whatever. Um, they're the people who are interested in a
2: deal, not,
3: you know, a luxury dinner.
2: That reminds me of my days waitressing and living off mistake orders.
1: What is a mistake order?
2: Uh, you know, when you order something specifically without, um, like, what's something that you hate?
1: Broccoli. I don't do broccoli.
2: So imagine you order, let's say, a salad and it has broccoli in it. and You say no broccoli and then you see the plate coming towards you and it's loaded with broccoli. And you tell them, like, bring that to the back before it even hits the table. It's not what you ordered.
1: So you guys would just eat those. See, I, I've worked in restaurants, too. We just toss it. You'd eat it.
2: Well, of course, especially like if it hadn't hit the table yet. And, uh, you know, at some places where I worked, you'd have to pay for it if it was your mistake. Like you forgot to type in no broccoli. Um, so, yeah, we'd eat those. And, you know, sometimes the kitchen would make the mistake and we don't get to eat it later. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely have eaten the mistake orders before, um, especially mm-hmm. if I had to pay for them. Um, these days aren't as, as lean for me. I'm not worried about putting in mistake orders, but I do like to be economically responsible when I'm dining out. How about you?
1: Absolutely. And that actually is what drives me crazy about a lot of the fancy restaurants. You drop a couple of hundred bucks and then you have to hit Wendy's on the way home because you're still hungry. That is a problem you won't have to deal with at most chain restaurants, though, because they load you up.
3: I think the first factor specifically is economic with regard to the consumer, Um, you know, chain restaurants, the things that they have going for them are value and consistency. And when you have a limited dining budget, a limited amount of money to spend on, you know, sort of luxury experiences, you want those to be good experiences. And, you know, trying new restaurants is really exciting. Obviously, I think that, Um, But sometimes it can be really disappointing. And, you know, you feel like you've gone and spent $100, $200, whatever the amount of money is on, you know, food that just really wasn't that good. Um, But when you're talking about a chain restaurant, you know that if you love the fajitas at uh, Chili's, those are going to taste like the fajitas at every Chili's.
1: My co-anchor here, uh, Heather Behrens, was telling me this morning that when she was in college, she and a bunch of her friends, they had one of their, another friend of theirs was a waitress at a Mexican restaurant. She knew them and they'd go there and they'd just fill up on chips and salsa and then order one, one plate of fajitas and split it all between them. Yeah. I mean, that's just,
3: and it feels, you know, like we're, we're kind of approaching those times again, you know, even just going through the drive-through feels kind of outrageously expensive right now. And, you know, if you have a family or, you know, our lower income. Date nights are kind of a luxury at the moment. And the idea that you could do it so affordably, I think, is really appealing to a lot of people.
1: What else do you think is driving a return to chain restaurant dining?
3: Another factor I think is, which is also economic, but more on the business side, is that it seems to be easier to do business as a restaurant if you're a chain. Um, Scale offers you the ability to Build systems uh, that make it more efficient to run a restaurant. They make it cheaper to, you know, acquire products uh, or the ingredients that you need to make the food that you're serving. Um, And so, I think on both sides of the business, it's really economic. And we've seen that with with chains, restaurants becoming chains that we really never would have thought would have become chains. Um, A a good example, I think, is Carbone, uh, which was, you know, very fancy New York City pasta restaurant, which now has several locations.
2: I haven't been to Carbone yet, but I really do want to. Uh, Mike, do you have a favorite chain restaurant?
1: It's a long list, Lauren. I'll hit up Chili's every now and then, Papado's, Rudy's, the barbecue chain here in Texas, Jersey Mike's. I could go on, but we'd be here all day.
2: I used to be a really big fan of Bennigan's. They had this fried chicken salad. It's like a salad, but definitely not healthy. But I was obsessed with it when I was a tween, and I w- I love the salad so much, and I love Benegans so much that I tried to get a job at a Benegan's. But I was really, I was a really young teen, and it didn't work out. They didn't want me.
1: And hey, never mind the food. I got a restaurant job once because a girl that I had a crush on worked there, and that didn't work out well either.
2: Oh, that's cute. We've we've all been there when we're young and trying to get jobs. The motivation is is a little bit different when you're young. And now all of the Bennigans that I used to love so much that were near me are unfortunately closed. Uh, But in our research for this, Chris, that producer I mentioned earlier, found out that most of the remaining Bennigans locations are, you're not going to be able to guess this, they're in Iowa and also Cyprus.
1: Yes, I saw this and... I had to look this up to confirm it. Not that I don't believe Chris, but (laughs) Cyprus, it just seems so random. And yet it's true. They have dozens of Bennigans in Cyprus. So best of luck finding your salad.
2: I know. I kind of, I want to go on a trip to Cyprus now just to figure out what the deal is, like what the Bennigans culture is like there, why they like it so much.
1: Maybe they have a bunch of Greek license plates up on the wall.
2: Oh, my gosh, I hope so. And I wonder if there's like a Cyprus version of that salad that I loved, like maybe a Greek salad, fried chicken salad fusion.
1: It just has feta cheese in it.
2: (laughs) It just has feta cheese in it. Yeah. So the next time I take off work, I might be headed to Cyprus to go find that salad.
1: Do you have a favorite chain restaurant?
3: oh man you know like i said i i kind of think chains are fine (laughs) You know, i grew up in a small town so uh that was really all we had other than like you know mom and pop places but um you know not above an olive garden love a soup salad and breadsticks lunch um love chilies i've written about my affinity for the chilies two for 25 which i think is like one of the best deals in dining i don't even think it exists anymore i think they have changed it up a little bit Yeah, I'm not a hater of chains. I just understand their place in the dining ecosystem, and I I don't go to chains if I'm looking for something really creative and interesting and locally sourced and fancy. You know, I go when I want a quick lunch or something reliable or something that I know is going to be good.
1: It's nice to have them as a safety net, isn't it?
3: Totally, totally. You know, I I, in the in the piece that we talked about earlier. I ended up in the Olive Garden, you know, just because it was in the parking lot next door of where I was. And, you know, they're always there. And when you're hungry and you don't have, you're not sure what you want, you know, the chains will always be there for you. And is it going to be amazing?
1: Olive Garden was, that was the go-to for my grandmother. Take me to Olive Garden.
3: (laughs) I mean, Olive Garden is, those breadsticks, man. You know, I think we can all universally agree that those are good. I don't want to know what's in them. Uh I don't care what the ingredient list is, I just know that they are delicious.
1: We've been hearing that millennials have have kind of ruined chain restaurants or at least made life more difficult for them. Is that true? And and what what caused that?
3: Yeah, I think I think on some level it is true. Um I think millennials and people in general, but you know millennials were certainly driving that, wanted more from restaurants they wanted more creative food they wanted um, locally sourced ingredients they wanted to know where their food was coming from and to support local farmers um, but i also think that it was i think it like i think millennials did it but i also think that millennials are now getting older i think we realize that the experiences that you know so-called hot or hip restaurants have kind of been uneven um, and, again, we're looking for that consistency. You know, I think uh, I'll go back to the economics of it. Millennials are broke, and when we have less money to spend on charcuterie and fancy restaurants, we're going to spend that at places that feel more familiar.
1: But isn't that the case, though, with, with any generation? You look at the boomers and millennials and Gen Z, as you get older and you have kids – Right. You want to go to some place you know and trust. You know what's on the menu. You know there's going to be variety. It's important to you.
3: Yeah, I think, I definitely think that's true. You know, my own, I've kind of always been a person who's never been afraid to say, no, actually, I think Taco Bell is pretty good, you know. Um, but I find myself doing that more as well, you know, instead of trying a new place or, and, you know, granted, it's my job. So I'm just talking about in my, my own time Uh, you know it's like why don't we just get you know this fajita place that we always go to or why don't you know I think consistency and reliability and knowing that something is the same is very important for people again when they have a very limited amount of money to spend on dining out
1: so what's the future of chain restaurants? We mentioned the whole generational thing. Is it is it just gonna be cyclical forever?
3: Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, I also think that we're gonna see a lot more chains in the coming years and months. We're already seeing that kind of trend back already. Um, for example, Quiznos, which the sandwich chain, which was kind of dead, you know, they closed several locations all over the country.
1: Lauren, while you're going off on that adventure to find a Bennegan's in Cyprus, I'm off to find the closest Quiznos.
2: Sounds like a plan.
1: I'm Mike Rogers. Thanks so much for listening to Something Offbeat. This episode written and produced by Lauren Barry and Chris Blake with audio editing by Brie Flores original music by Myron Kaplan and editorial support from Cooper Mall now to keep listening please subscribe to us on the Odyssey app or Spotify Apple wherever you get your podcasts and look if you've got your own offbeat story that we haven't covered and you think we should let us know about it send it to us at somethingoffbeat at Odyssey that's A-U-D-A-C-Y dot com